This is how we overcome the moving on the kingdom. Reaching to the world's arms open, arms open, yeah. This is how we practice Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are excited to bring you a brand new series starting here at the midpoint-ish of summertime. We are excited to take a look at some of our maybe favorite hymn texts, but hymn texts that grow out of or arise out of the scriptures. We spent uh, the first half of the summer together taking a look at Things that everybody thinks they've heard of that turn out not to be actually in the Bible, or at least not quite the way we remember them. We thought we might sort of turn that on its head and think about what are hymns that are a part of the church's life, whether for centuries or recent ones, and look at where do these pieces of poetry that we sing and learn the faith by, where do they come from in the scriptures? So that's what we invite you to be a part of this journey with us on here in these coming weeks. Where should we begin? So we are going to begin with my absolute favorite hymn of all time go tell it on the mountain which is Yay. a christmas hymn yeah uh, it is uh at least when i was growing up the church that i went to it was every single year the closing hymn for christmas eve so we would do the the um the candlelight part like after communion where you have a candle and you sing silent night and the like lights go down and we would sometimes also then sing a second hymn, like immediately after Silent Night. And it had the same kind of very quiet lullaby-esque feel to it, the same way that like Silent Night did. Like that was the requirement for whatever that second hymn was. It had to be quiet and a lullaby type thing. And it was dark and quiet and very reflective. And then we would have like another prayer or two or something I don't remember but it was spoken part of the service and then the lights would come back on you could blow out your candle and we would conclude the service with go tell it on the mountain which is a faster pace loud hymn like it kind of would wake you back up a little bit as you leave yeah shouting to the to this to the rooftops out into the sky even you know go tell it on the mountain over the hills and everywhere go tell it on the mountain that jesus christ is born and i asked my pastor i think once about like you know why are we why is it always this hymn like this hymn never changes and um and he was of the philosophy that you know this is such a great important day in the church life that you don't want to end the service with quiet, be quiet, don't say anything because you'll wake the baby. But no, you want to conclude with part of our mission mm-hmm. as church is to go share the good news and yeah. do it loudly. And yeah. so we would always conclude Christmas Eve with go tell it on the mountain, um, you know, over the hills and everywhere. And so I have taken that with me that that is well, A, the true and proper way to conclude a Christmas Eve service. <laughs> and controversy I, here. <clears throat> I have gotten in trouble with worship and music committees who disagree so hard um, that they like they hated talking Christmas Eve with me because I would always make this case. And then they would always have to say, that's not part of our tradition. You don't mess with Christmas Eve. We're not doing that. 
right? And I would always be all like, but it's such a great hymn and it doesn't feel like Christmas if we don't sing it. And they'd go, it doesn't feel like Christmas Eve if we don't sing our hymn that we sing every year right. for us, the concluding right. hymn. Um, but yeah, to me, this is my make it or break it. This hymn yeah. is what makes Christmas. It's not Jesus. It's this, it's this hymn. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty well-known one. And you've given us echoes <laughs> already of like what the refrain is. And like you mentioned, it's upbeat. It's uh, comes out of the African-American church. It's a spiritual kind of a feel. So it's like, even if you don't melody to melody, you know, this is a clapping on two and four kind of a song. Um, <laughs> it is, you know, like picture it wouldn't, it wouldn't be wrong to have a tambourine beaten in that, you know, um, but walk us through what, what are the verses, uh, even, even if that's not reciting it, but what, what happens in the rest of this song or carol? Yeah. So again, I think that this is like, it's coming out of the Luke uh, gospel reading mm -hmm. with the, um, you know, the birth narrative. And so like the first verse is, you know, while the shepherds kept their watch over silent flocks by night, and then behold, they're shown a holy light, um, you know, and then, you know, the shepherds, you know, continues on with verse two of the shepherds feared and they trembled. Um, and then the, there's an angel chorus that hailed the savior's birth. And then it moves on to the last verse of less shepherds, but now we're in the, in the stable and yeah. down in the lonely manger, you know, Christ was born and God sent us salvation that blessed Christmas morn. And you can kind of hear the rhyming because I'm yeah, almost quoting. I think I'm dropping <laughs> some words in there, but, um, but yeah, it's very much the strong imagery of out in the field with the shepherds moving into the stable or the barn or the manger um, to see the Christ child. And it doesn't have a verse about like, oh, and then the shepherds left and proclaimed, but that's kind of what the chorus is, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Is that after the shepherds went and confirmed the birth child, the birth of Jesus, mm -hmm. um, they left yeah. and they went and told to all that they encountered that this thing has happened, that salvation has come through this child. And yeah. they weren't quiet about it. They went and told it on the mountain and yeah. over the hills and everywhere that Jesus Christ was born. One of the things that you kind of already hinted at with this hymn in particular that I imagine is going to be a theme throughout this series is part of the way that what hymns do for us is they are not quite like group drama but they are close in some ways in that depending on the text of a hymn it like invites us to jump into the story in a certain way and i think part of what this hymn does well that we don't always remember is a part of the nativity story is that call of okay once you've heard the story once you've experienced the birth <clears throat> of christ now you share that and again like i don't know what every church's tradition is like but i know in um churches that use a revised common lectionary, there is this option. You can either end the story of the nativity on Christmas Eve with um, the the nativity scene ends with sort of the shepherds arrive at the manger end of story, or you can continue on with, and then they go out and they tell everybody and Mary treasured all these mm -hmm. things and pondered them in our hearts. And I know there's the impulse for some people to treat the Christmas story like it's all about everybody arriving at a center point and then end the story there with everybody there. So the nativity set is now complete. Um but yet, and and if that's the way you picture the story, then you're almost going to be predisposed to see this at the this night. The this is we got to get everybody there to the manger, and then they got to be quiet because baby's got to sleep. 
But if you hear the story as no, once you've gotten there, once you've seen it, you got to you know run and tell somebody mm-hmm. much like, mm-hmm. you know, Mary does at the tomb at Easter. Once she's seen the tomb is empty, she doesn't stay there. She goes and tells people. But that that notion of once you've experienced the thing God's doing, you got to go tell people. And if that's your understanding of how that story moves, then this is a perfect way to sort of encapsulate or invite us as singers 2000 years later into the motion of that story. You know, I never thought of it that way, sir. Like, I, I love this hymn. It's not my Christmas Eve tradition. Sorry. <laughs> Joy fine. to the world is. Uh, <laughs> another upbeat song. But um, I think that's a part, as you just said, Steve, that's a part of the story that we so often miss, that we end with everybody coming, but we forget that they went back out. And I really yeah. like that we pointed out that, you know, because this hymn is one of those few that, like, the refrain begins and ends with him. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just we end with God sent us salvation on that blessed Christmas morn, the end. No, mm-hmm. we go back and say, go tell it on the mountain. You know, yeah. It's that one last kick to like, no, you need to go out and you need to tell this story. It's not mm-hmm. just a, oh, come and experience, you know, the sweet baby in the manger. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I really like about, and I, I like more and more as time goes on about go tell it on the mountain is uh that it it doesn't sentimentalize or romanticize the story Mm -hmm. as much as other christmas hymns do and i i say that with an awareness that there are lots of really beautiful christmas carols that i will sing heartily and with gusto even when they do sentimentalize the birth of jesus but that go tell on the mountain doesn't and i guess what i mean by that in particular is that sometimes in the name of sort of preserving that lullaby isn't he a sweet beautiful baby our poetry does things to the birth of Jesus that feel mm-hmm. non-incarnational. I mean, like, it seems like the church fought long and hard in the beginning to say Jesus is as fully human as it is possible to be while also being the divine son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And that Jesus does all the things that humans do, like crying and needing diaper changed and being hungry and fussy and cranky. And none of those things make it into most Christmas hymns. Instead, we got a lot of, you know, Jesus meek and mild because he's a little child and those words rhyme and therefore that shapes our theology or our piety because they rhyme. Um, you know, little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Like, a- again, the force mm-hmm. of rhyme, I get it. And there's a thing called poetic <clears throat> license. But Go Tell It on the Mountain doesn't do that. It hews pretty close to the story as Luke tells it without making it maudlin or saccharine and still preserves that that fidelity to the biblical story. And I really, really like that. I agree. Are there other things about this hymn or ways you've seen it used that um, help help bring the story to life? So uh, we've talked quite a bit about how it uses Luke as one of its scripture references or like scripture that it's pulling from. Yeah. But it's not the only scripture that it's oh. pulling from. Yeah. Um, it also <laughs> harkens back, I think, to Isaiah. Yeah, there's, a, there's two places in particular in Isaiah that are very similar to each other, um, which is Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52, mm-hmm. both of which like start off with um, I'm going to look at 52, but 40 is very, very similar. So just know that um, that's, you know, like get you up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald of good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, strength, O Jerusalem, held her- Herald of good tidings, lift it up, do not fear, 
say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. And then it kind of continues on, but it's like a, a very similar, both Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 52 have this very similar image of going up to the high place, up to the mountain to be yeah. shouting the good news, yeah. um, which for Isaiah is probably they're alluding to different good news than mm-hmm. the birth of Jesus. But like, I think it's that same image of like, all right, now we have experienced good news. We also need to go up to this high place and to shout it out with joy and gladness. Um, so that's another scripture reference that I believe that go tell it yeah. on the mountain is alluding to. Yeah. I like it. And the, the moment you mentioned that, like I can remember hearing an anthem oh, decades ago, but that is drawn right from Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the one who brings peace, who brings good news, who announces mm-hmm. salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And I, I, I you help, so helpfully pointed out that what the hymn does, what go tell on the mountain does is without pretending that it's meant to be a Bible study on Isaiah, goes like, yeah, you know what Isaiah was talking about? It's it's really, it, Christians see that it, that's about Jesus. So maybe Isaiah had no clue about mangers and angels and shepherds, but Christians can sort of see ultimately what Isaiah has in mind. He's pointing to the coming of what God's done in Jesus. Um, and I, I think one, that's one of the, the places in um, Christian life where it's okay to be playful with scriptures like that. You know, like if we were doing an in-depth, text study or an exegesis or something like that we might say well no no isaiah is isaiah and luke is luke and never the twain shall meet you have to treat isaiah in his context in you know 700 <clears throat> bc or whatever and luke is writing to a different audience in a different language and don't mix them but in a hymn which is poetry you can be um elusive like that you can you can make a reference to multiple things at once and have all of those evoked rather than needing little footnotes in this verse i'm going to be talking about isaiah and in this verse i'm going to be talking about luke the poem can can do that all at once without needing footnotes one of the things i think we're going to note then throughout this whole series is how often the scriptures do this themselves too and especially places that are poetic in the scriptures, uh, what sometimes biblical scholars call intertextuality, where um, a passage, say, from the prophets or the Psalms or something like that, will have sort of like, without directly quoting and saying, as I said back in this other book, but like there will be these clear echoes of another passage that reflects a familiarity with a Psalm or another passage or another prophet or something like that, and assumes you're familiar, but doesn't doesn't sort of weaves them together all in, all in one place. And the the, my goodness, the Christian scriptures, the New Testament does that all over the place when it'll just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, like the scripture says, then it'll like, you know, m- you know merge together like five passages <laughs> and assume <laughs> that we know these are a bunch of different references or sometimes we'll conflate things. Um, but not only does that happen, but that it's okay that it happens and that that assumes that the, the scripture writers themselves assume we've got a familiarity with other scriptures and also that it's okay to do that with the scriptures to go, oh yeah, when I'm thinking of this, it makes me think of these three other things and it's okay to hold all all those together and that good poetry can do that. This is already getting at something too about what, again, what I think all of our conversation about good hymns will do as well is that it, 
it stretches it, it it's like fun it works a different part of our brain than like listening to a sermon does um and that there's something creative about how poetry and and hymn lyrics are our form poetry that it allows us to be a little bit playful we've talked before about uh in this in this podcast about that um jewish phenomenon of midrash where you sort of like do fan fiction and you sort of like you know playfully explore <laughs> hey I, want, I wonder what so-and-so was thinking in this passage and that Poetry can do that, too, in a playful kind of way that goes like, OK, I know this passage and I know this other one. I wonder what happens if I put them side by side or I wonder what happens if I think of one in light of the other. And uh, again, like sometimes we can be so, so cautious with the Bible because we don't want to abuse it or mistreat it or uh, read into things. But poetry and hymnody allows us to do some of that exploring. And because we don't treat hymns uh, with the same maybe reverence or final authoritiness of scripture, that it's okay to have that playfulness um, and to know, yeah, well, okay, this isn't exactly what this Bible verse says or that Bible verse says, but this this hymn sort of touches all touches all those bases. That's something that we need rather than turning the 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 Bible into this, I guess, something we're afraid to touch because we don't want to break it. I love viewing hymns as both poetry, but also as a way to preach. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I think to me, one of the most powerful lessons I had in, on internship was we had um, we had somebody who was willing to come and sing as like special music at uh, at the church that I was serving as an intern. And yeah. my supervisor gave the soloist the sermon spot mm -hmm. like like that was their time to perform perform mm -hmm. I it was during the sermon time and um he said it was because he needed to re this was a good reminder to both the congregation and to us as preachers that music and hymns have just as much power and authority to proclaim the gospel <coughs> as we do as preachers yeah, yeah. and yeah. um and like that was such and also it gave us a Sunday off and preparing <laughs> a sermon but um <laughs> But since there was two of us, that was less of a like yeah. driving force. But it was like, no, this hymn proclaims the gospel yeah. arguably better than yeah. what we could yeah. do because this hymn is better written as a poem yeah. set to music yeah. than what he or I could write in a week preparing for preparing for that sermon time, right? Yeah. So yeah. um it it's oftentimes especially i think that really well-written hymns that are scriptural based it, it's a way of proclaiming the gospel yeah yeah i think you've hit on something too that again we may keep exploring or mining over the course of this series but that part of what good poetry does sometimes because it rhymes and is therefore more memorable or sometimes just it's the right turn of phrase or that you boil something down into something that is shorter and, and more evocative in the mind. But it has a way of staying with you that you could probably recite from memory um, the verse of a hymn, even if it were the first or second mm -hmm. time you ever heard if it was powerful enough. But I can't imagine anybody reciting an entire paragraph they heard any one of us preach. I mean, like, you know, and that that's I think that's that's not to belittle any of your uh, or my preaching abilities uh, or the hearing of anybody, but prose is just different. Um, mm -hmm. And if uh, poetry and hymnody is able to encapsulate and do something in a memorable, evocative way, it's it's not just that it's it's as good as 
preaching as far as communicating the good news, but may have better staying power. And sometimes because uh, hymns use imagery, it sort of it it sort of lodges itself in our brains in different ways than remembering a whole sentence with nuance. But you know, when you got a stark you know image, go tell it on the mountain. Like I can picture instantly, you know, somebody standing up on a mountaintop, speaking, shouting, whatever. Um, and I can see myself there because the song is addressing me. That's a, a powerful thing that hymns and poetry does and song does. And when you pair that to a melody that is you know, memorable as well, it, people will be humming that walking out the door in a way that mm-hmm. nobody will walk out. I'm going to be reciting the last three sentences of your sermon all the way home, preacher. But probably <laughs> you've heard people say as they're walking out of church, man, that hymn's going to be stuck in my head all day. And there's something beautiful about that. I Even remember- when I've taken notes like of great sermons that I've heard in the past. Yeah. What do I remember as I'm walking out the door, the songs we sang? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my guess is you've had experiences like this before too in your various ministry settings where people whose memory or mental acuity in other areas of their life are beginning to fade, but they hold on to Mm -hmm. hymns that they've learned. I can remember years ago we went Christmas caroling and uh, with with a, a group from the church to this nursing home, and we went into the door to this one member. She was a hundred years old and thought she was sleeping and didn't even know we were there. But I thought, well, let's just let her know that at least we were here and see if she wakes. And then outside her door, we start singing "Silent Night" because that was sort of the go-to for that group. And she starts singing along with "Silent Night," mm-hmm. and it was like you know she couldn't <clears> have told you what day it was or who any of us were but that was stuck in her memory um in part because music works differently i mean neurologically works a different Mm -hmm. part of the brain and it stays there and at a point when we aren't maybe mentally able to process hearing a brand new sermon or understand what the preacher said at some point in our lives what we can still hold on to is the words of a hymn that we've learned and that we can sing back I, i even think it's true when there's a new song that, that's new to us that uh, somehow it affects us in a way that, uh, again, just prose or hearing a regular sermon or exposition or something like that wouldn't. When I was on internship, my supervisor had this habit from time to time of writing songs that he would then like play and sing during as part of his sermon in the, the regular worship. He'd get out of his guitar and sing. And when I came, he had written one particular song years and years before that sort of came out of a really difficult time in his own life. But he used this imagery of uh, it was like an Easter time. He used the image of like when the marshmallow peeps have all dried up, that, like there was this promise of, like Jesus is still alive, even if all you know the lilies have all you know dried up and the peeps are all shriveled and all that. But like when I came, like people were still talking about this song they had heard once in their life because there was this clear image that grabbed their uh, faithful imagination and they could wrap their brains up. Yeah, we've all seen that. And there was something that was funny and poignant and that held in their memory in a way that even though there were lots of other biblical scholars and professors in that congregation, none of those things stuck, but it was, yeah, that song, that stuck with them. Can I ask you, Sarah, when you find yourself in a setting that isn't keen on singing, go tell it on the mountain on Christmas Eve, as might happen in life. Um, are there things that you do to make sure at some point it gets sung? Like, is that, okay, well, we'll sing it on Christmas day or the first Sunday of Christmas, or you sing it to yourself later on, or what, what do you do? So it, it depends on the context. Um, I have previously served a congregation that just, they would sometimes sing it during communion on Christmas Eve. 
which I always found it irritating because I can't sing during communion because right. I'm distributing communion. Um, so I just would play it on my way home um, <laughs> as a way to get it in. Um, and my current congregation, I have a deal with the music director that we alternate hymns, uh. Uh, the concluding hymn. So uh, one year we'll do Go Tell It on the Mountain because that's my hymn. And then the <laughs> next year we do Joy to the World because that is what they're more used to. <laughs> okay. And then the next year we go back to Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh. And I believe we either try to have it somewhere else in the service and those two hymns just flip yeah, flop. Yeah. So they're both in the Christmas yeah. Eve service. It just, yeah. they're in different places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he also will play it often uh, because he knows how much I love this hymn. He'll mm -hmm. often play it during Christmas tide when I am there mm -hmm. also as yeah. like special music or like, like even yeah. if we do it on Christmas Eve, because at least he's done that previously. Because again, he knows how much I love this hymn. That's funny. In the churches where I serve right now, it's their tradition that if we get one or two Sundays, sometimes of Christmas after between Christmas Eve and uh, Epiphany, um, those we do as hymn sing Sundays, and like people pick from Christmas mm -hmm. carols, and like the rule is whatever we call out. That's so like sometimes and uh, sometimes everybody's on a go tell them a mountain kick like there will be christmas tides where like we will have sung that three times in the course of those two weeks because <laughs> it makes it into christmas eve and somebody likes it well enough we do it you know the next two sundays um and then some years just like it shows up maybe once and and you don't know where you know uh who's gonna want it but it it's funny how that keeps coming back that way and we keep getting other opportunities to to sing i think that's one of the beautiful things and we've talked in other series about the beautiful thing about the church year that takes these moments and these days and often the ones that are really important spreads them out to go, let's take a second look at this. Let's hear this from another angle so that we don't just have to say how many different beloved songs can we cram into one liturgy, but all right, we're going to do these today. And then next Sunday, we're going to take another look at this and hear it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And that might be a different set of hymns. Yeah. We will often try to do a hymn sing in the summer okay. too, like yeah. as, um, and, and when we do hymn sings, at least at my current congregation, oftentimes I'm not there. So yeah. it's a day where we don't have to pay a preacher. Um, this one that's upcoming, I will be there. And uh, But something my music director is really great about is we'll introduce the hymn and we'll give it some historical background or some scriptural background. Like, mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, we're just singing this hymn, yeah. but like, let's actually talk about it for a minute. And then we're going to sing it. Yeah. And um, so knowing that we have one coming up and I am going to be there, uh, <laughs> I have a couple of favorite hymns uh, like this one. Um, now the Green Blade Rises, which is a good Easter hymn. Yeah, I'm going to see if I we can't do one or both of those because yeah. I'm going to be there at this hymn thing. And, um, you know, because I, I like talking about these yeah. hymns. And yeah, I, I know that this hymn, Go Tell It on the Mountain, I have currently slated in as uh when i die whenever that may be i would like this to be the sending him for nice. my funeral because mm -hmm. uh, again yeah. like it's it's one of those i think that this is something that we need to keep in our minds as part of what the christian mission is is that we are commissioned by jesus to go out and proclaim the good news and to baptize all nations mm -hmm. and 
this hymn is a good reminder of that, of we aren't meant to keep our faith quiet. We're not Mm -hmm. meant to like, just keep this as just between me and Jesus, but no, we're supposed to go and share it with people. Like this is a good thing that has happened to the world, the salvation that we have been given. So let's go and share it with people. And like, Mm -hmm. let's just shout it from the mountaintops. Like, yeah. yeah, so like this is something that I would like sung as yeah. people are leaving for my funeral. To me, that that point you just raised makes a connection. I don't know that I, I ever thought of before, but uh, here we are in, in the summertime recording these conversations. And in the back of my memory is the recent observance and celebration of Juneteenth, this holiday that is recently a federal holiday, but has long, long been celebrated, especially in, in the African-American and Black community, that acknowledges there is a a distance in time between one the emancipation proclamation and then after that lee's surrender at the end of the civil war and months later when the news finally reaches galveston texas that people actually were free and to me that that juxtaposition that like disconnect of like hold on well at what point were people actually free well in some sense you could say when lincoln says the emancipation proclamation or at some in some sense it's when at least surrenders to grant but in another sense until people hear the news they still live in a world with mm-hmm. the assumption that they are enslaved and that the powers that be are keeping them enslaved and so you need that move from okay a thing happened to telling people that a thing happened otherwise what difference does it make and i think sometimes christians and maybe this is especially true of traditions like my own as a lutheran sometimes our focus or our theology is it doesn't matter if anybody knew god sent jesus into the world god did the saving and that's the definitive action but like an important part of the story is that now people have to hear and know that story because at at that moment that's when the the sense of of being free of liberation happens when the news is brought to you not just in the abstract somewhere else and again if if all of our christmas hymnody just leaves the baby in the manger now be quiet now hush because baby's sleeping we lose that sense of it's not good news until it's told um, and that my guess is part of the value of a song like this, especially growing out of the African-American community, is that same lived experience that leads to Juneteenth of there's a difference between a thing happened, but we kept it quiet and a thing happened and we have to tell. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a great connection to make. Thanks. Like now I love this hymn even more. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny as we've been talking back and forth about and, and it's these moments, it's Christmas and Easter that people often sort of become like their liturgical sacred cows of the way I want it to be is the way it needs to be. And churches can be like that. And I've got my own bugaboos too for different holidays. But that really the the central moments of the Christian story, which have to do with central moments of Jesus story, are polyvalent. And that like to be able to say both things can be true at the same time. So yes, there's this tender moment of a baby and eventually the baby goes to sleep. So yeah, it's okay to have some hymns like that, but also you need joy because my goodness, the angel song had to be so loud it scared the willies out of the shepherds. And then they had to go tell everybody that was noisy. And the flip side at Easter, we're so used to, no, we we only can sing loud jubilant ones, you know, Jesus Christ is risen today and all the alleluias we can find that sometimes it's a hard sell to sing a minor key hymn like you mentioned, the now the green blade rises which is beautiful and in my book needs to be sung sometime early on in Easter time but it lands different because it's sung in a minor key and has a different a different feel to it but yeah. there's something about that resurrection morning that is also minor key they're expecting a dead body and they're weeping as they arise and depending on whose version you're telling Matt or Mark doesn't even have a risen Jesus on the scene he's just 
vanished and his absence is the hope they have that he must be out loose in the world because he's not in the tomb. I expect as we go on then, as we take a look in coming weeks at other hymns that are important and where they come in the scriptures, that that idea that you can look at the same story or scripture from multiple angles at the same time, almost like cubism in art. Um, that's important. And that's part of what poetry can do in a way that, again, a sermon can't or a plain old exposition or commentary can't. Yeah, I look forward to hearing what hymn we're going to be talking about next week. Yeah, so join us next time as we take a look more at the hymns and the scriptures that inspire them here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you Bye. This is